We're talking slush funds once again on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi, and Lisa Garvin. It's a sunny Thursday. Good day to talk about slush funds, right? <laughs> I mean, every day is a good day to talk about slush funds. <laughs> I keep hearing how much the county council hates us using that term, trying to convince people they're not slush funds, but the truth sticks. They are slush funds. So let's start. Are county council members already spending from their slush funds, $6 million each slush funds, even before any legislation has been introduced to create the slush funds? Layla, this was a tip we got from Lee Weingart. I didn't think it was going to be true. He read a story in the Sun Press and he said, hey, are they spending their slush funds? (laughs) It turns out, yes. <laughs> yeah, we were doubtful, but it's funny because uh, Caitlin Durbin saw that and was like, you know what? I just don't see any other pot of money that that could be coming from. So she checked it out. So, yeah, we've been discussing these controversial slush funds for the past couple of weeks. County Council is about to announce. They haven't even announced it. That's the that's the really astounding thing about this. They're about to announce that from that federal American Rescue Plan money, um, they are going to set aside $66 million, $6 million for each of the 11 council members to use in their districts at their discretion with their their colleagues' approval. We've been on their case about that because that, of course, is not the way this money is supposed to be used. This is money that is supposed to be transformational and used for the highest good. County council insists that these are not slush funds. They say that those discretionary funds are going to be vetted by council and put through the rigor of a council vote and put to the test of this independent auditor who will make sure that they pass the muster of the American Rescue Plan and blah, blah. Well, you know, Caitlin Durbin had been expecting the announcement of that allocation to come, you know, sometime next week. Well, we find out through the reporting of of the Sun paper and also through (laughs) Lee Weingart, who spotted it, that uh, Councilwoman Cheryl Stevens has already promised a $120,000 chunk of her ARPA slush fund to a road project in University Heights. It's, you know, the Cedar Road repaving project, which was first estimated to cost $1.8 million, but later jumped to $2.3 million, and council members there weren't willing to make up the $129,000 difference, and they voted to abandon the project until they got reassurance from Stevens that she would help cover the shortfall, and then they reversed their decision. And so Stevens told Caitlin last night, I promised them that I would figure out how to take care of that gap. Plan A is the ARPA funding. So so a couple of things. <laughs> However, the ARPA funding hasn't even been introduced yet to council. And how is in- I just don't see how if if you have promised that the spending of that money will go through the rigor of council and will be vetted and will be independently put against, you know, set us, you know, pass the muster of the American Rescue Plan. How are you already promising it to a city that has now passed their plan to spend it based on right. your promise? It's, it's a pack <laughs> of lies we're being told. This is not going to be groupthink. Each individual person is going to decide how to spend it, and it's going to be a rubber stamp by the council. What this shows, though, and this is another failure of county government, is 
They're having secret discussions about this. They're not supposed to create slush funds in secret and then finally introduce it. Cheryl Stevens has been talking to her members to find out that they're going to create $6 million slush funds. That's not sunshine. You're supposed to do government in the sunshine. So what it sounds like is this is a done deal. They've already discussed it among themselves. They're going to come out and go through the charade of acting like they're discussing this when they create the legislation, even though they've all been meeting about it. Because how else could she have committed to spending it without having full assurance that this is going to pass? Yeah. I mean, she even kind of suggested that everybody's talking about how they would spend it. She said, you should wait and see what we do with it. And and also, it's sort of astounding. She said, I know people have acted like we're just throwing this money out, but some of us are being very <laughs> some careful. Of us. I, how are, that is the most, that, that does not well, comport at all with what, the, the fact that you promised money that you don't even have in hand, and you saw that, that city council pass legislation based on your empty promise i mean what happens if if next week the county council about faces and decides actually this is really irresponsible to set up these discretionary accounts you have just done the worst thing to university heights where they have passed legislation to move forward with that repaving project based on your totally irresponsible promise of $129,000. Yeah, well, I don't think there's any chance. You better start scrambling and emptying your piggy bank. There's no chance they're not <laughs> going to go through with it because they're they're spending it already. Look, the other thing is, we can't forget, this is not the purpose of the county council. They're not supposed to have fiefdoms. They're not supposed to control pots of money. There's actually a, a thing in the charter that says, individual council members should not control pots of money. They're getting around that by saying, well, we're all going to vote on it. But we specifically set up a county council not to do this. This is not what they're supposed to do. Marty Sweeney gets on the council after leaving Cleveland City Council, and he's bringing all his sleazy ways to this body and co-opting their purpose. So they're all going to get $6 million, a gigantic sum of money in the end. They're going to squander it on non-transformational projects. Has anybody ever driven on Cedar Road? They When they resurface that, it's cracking within months. There's just no point. The road is never going to be in good shape. This is a waste of money. We'll forget that they resurfaced it six months after it's finished. And that's what my thought. This is not transformational. Like, And you've talked numerous times about the big ideas. These are not big ideas. This is a pittance. Like 100, what was it, $150,000, right, that we're talking about? Like, it's not going to make, it's going to put, like, nice crosswalks in, which are fine, but come on, there's got to be another pot of money. Yeah, this is this is really a sign of how astray this county council has gone. And you know what was amazing, Layla, is Cheryl Stevens wasn't even aware of what she was revealing. I mean, she was revealing that they're not doing their business in the public. She was revealing that they're already spending money before they've even created the mechanism to do it and was proud of it. I mean, that just shows how out of touch with the public they have become. Right, 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 right. Now, uh, you know, it's it's what else is astounding. You know, all this money, you know, it com- it com- Caitlin points out, combined with the, the similar, to Armin Budish is getting $20 million of discretionary funding as well, which I, I don't quite understand because isn't he the one who's plotting out the rest of the yeah. money? The, all of these accounts together comprise a third of the county's $240 million federal aid, uh, which, you know, is, is supposed to be the transformational money. 
You remember when they put out the, you know, they, they've asked the public for all of their feedback. I know this isn't what they <laughs> gave, what the public said they wanted to do with no, it. No, it's like, not. Uh, give a third of it to, to, you, to you know what this reminds me of Layla like my kids when they get their allowance and they keep talking big about like how they're gonna save up for like whatever a baseball bat or whatever and instead they spend it at the market on the way home from school because once they have a dollar they have to buy starburst right like there's just no restraint here yeah well I give blow it on lol dolls. give credit to Lee Weingart he's running for county executive on the as a Republican and showed a watchdog eye. When he first flagged it, I thought, no, there's going to be some pot of money. It's legal. And lo and behold, he had the good eye. He spotted it. That's the kind of watchdog we might need in county government. So salute to Lee Weingart. You're listening to Today in Ohio. With the Ohio business community opposed, does the Ohio version of the Don't Say Gay Bill appear doomed? Lisa, we talked about yesterday how with only two sponsors, this might not have the legs to be worthy of discussion. Seems like yesterday a stake was driven into its heart. It was, but things are still kind of quiet in Columbus. Uh, the Ohio Chamber of Commerce CEO and Executive Director Steve Stivers issued a statement earlier this week, and he says he has concerns about House Bill 616. And he says the, me- the message it would send to prospective new business and residents who they want to lure to Ohio. He says, quote, Ohio needs to be a welcoming place for all. And this so far is the strongest statement from the Ohio business community. Let's hope we hear more. But if we go to Governor DeWine, he says he hasn't read the details of the bill and he ducked questions about the specifics contained wherein. But he did say we want to be an inclusive state. So I don't think this bill Uh, you know, accomplishes that. And then House Speaker Bob Cupp says, well, he hasn't assigned it to committee and he has no opinion on HB 616 yet. So kind of stunning silence there from the General Assembly. I wouldn't be surprised if an executive in Intel didn't see that proposal and dial up Mike DeWine and say, hey, dude, we're about to spend a lot of money in your state. We don't want to come to a state that is being exclusionary because we need to get employees and employees that we're looking for are not going to like that because the backstroking that they they were doing right away. I mean, it's good because this was a stupid law. You know, I, and we talked about this yesterday that maybe they never had any intention of it passing. They just want to be able to go back to their constituents and say, we tried, but, you know, those guys in the mm-hmm. legislature just didn't go with us. And it's just a stunt. That gets all the hyperventilation, and they got it. They got lots of attention for a 24-hour period, and maybe that was their their goal, but it does seem like it's dead and hopefully will stay dead. Right, and I, I must say that don't say gay is kind of a misnomer. I mean, it does talk about, you know, talking about gender identity and sexual identity, but this bill also covers other things. I mean, sex education, and I think there might even be a little CRT thrown in there. So this is kind of a, a, a term for a bill that has many different things in it well it's it's a solution in search of a problem the schools are not hotbeds of this kind of discussion so this is all look it's very effective it's a it's like red meat for the far right and that's why they're dangling it uh but but when you're trying to attract businesses that want to attract employees it's a really bad idea it's today in ohio what would it have taken for prosecutors to charge Deshaun Watson in Texas? 
Laura, because the the litany of allegations in the civil suits seemed to match the definitions of crimes in Ohio, we wondered whether Texas has different laws where these things might not be illegal. We asked Corey Schaefer to check it out. What did he find? No, these things are definitely illegal. I just want to put out the the information there that we don't know exactly what was in the grand jury. We will never know. It's against the law in Texas for anyone to disclose, and you could go to jail for doing that. And we don't know which of the civil suits were presented as criminal um, information because about 10 crimes were presented, and there are 22 civil suits, and not all. it's not even 10 of this 22. So we don't know exactly what this is. But if you look at the general sense of what – Watson is accused of doing in the civil suits, all of those would be misdemeanors. There's three that might cross the line into felonies. And the thing is, in Texas, like Ohio, prosecutors can bring misdemeanor charges anytime they want if they believe there's enough evidence. Instead, they took it to a grand jury. And like I said, we don't know what was presented. We believe they heard from one of the women, but they decided not to indict him in anything, although they could have come back with a misdemeanor charge. Well, when prosecutors want plausible deniability, instead of making the decision themselves, they go to a grand jury. And then they can say, well, the grand jury didn't do it. And we all know prosecutors pretty much manipulate the grand juries to do whatever they want. Uh, so, it's a, look, it's a good story that examines it. There's so much outrage about mm-hmm. this that continues a day after day after day. We continue to hear largely from women that are just offended that the Browns did this. So we're going to keep looking at this and trying to to figure it out. As these civil cases, if they go to court, we're going to be there. We're going to hear what people have to say uh, because of the interest in this case. The stories we did on that in a column by Maple Busher about uh, Deshaun Watson were like our number two and three stories of the day yesterday. People cannot get enough. I agree. I don't think the Browns expected the outrage to last this long. And it's been a couple of weeks. I think they thought there'd be an initial burst. They'd say, we became comfortable. He's a great guy. And everyone would be like, yep, we won a Super Bowl. This sounds great. But instead, I feel like it's building. And Corey did a, did a deep look at this and actually looked at similar cases, tried to look for similar cases in Northeast Ohio, at least. There have been some, but I think these are incredibly difficult to prosecute. Even the ones that he looked at that went to trial ended up with an acquittal because there's not a lot of evidence. Uh, there's a you know testimony, and we should not discount that testimony either. And we should point out, like one of the victims did in an open letter, that just because there's no charges doesn't mean they're innocent. Look, when, when he takes the field for practice, people are going to bring this up. I mean, it, it, he's a lightning rod now, and so I don't think this is going to go away. If the Browns thought this was going to go away quickly, it was a huge miscalculation. Uh, so we'll have to see. It's today in Ohio. What bold move did Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb take Wednesday to help thousands of people get their names cleared? Layla, this is a, a great move by the mayor, but there was one disturbing fact that was revealed in this story. Hmm. Well, Bibb and Assistant Chief Prosecutor Keela Jordan, uh, Council President Blaine Griffin and Law Director Mark Griffin were all at the municipal court on Wednesday to file motions to expunge more than 4,000 convictions involving misdemeanor marijuana cases. These filings, if the court approves them, would wipe out 4,077 cases dating back to 2017 for possession of 20 grams or less under the city's ordinance. And this builds upon the measure of justice reform that Cleveland City Council took back in 2020 when it passed legislation to lower penalties for misdemeanor marijuana cases to no fines and no jail time. Before that, 
people who were convicted could have been forced to pay fines as high as $150. And the, the new law also says that those convicted wouldn't have a criminal record and wouldn't need to report the charge on applications for employment or licenses. Blaine Griffin, who sponsored the law, had, had stressed at the time that it was necessary because of how disproportionately these low-level possession charges affect the black community and impact their ability to find employment and, and move on with their lives. And since the law passed, city prosecutors identified 455 people who were mistakenly charged with misdemeanor marijuana cases. And the prosecutor's office noticed thousands of other cases that were eligible for expungement. Keela Jordan said prosecutors plan on going back even further than 2017 to initiate expungements and honor the city's legislation. Of course, you know, the expungements aren't automatic. The municipal court is the final arbiter of all of that. But it's it's a really stunning and bold step in the direction of criminal justice reform that this group of public officials took yesterday. But what was the detail that you noticed how that I, it must you, have blew past how me? How do you mistakenly charge 455 people? Oh, I mean, that that's okay. astounding. I mean, and what is the racial breakdown of them? Where you know, where do they live? What is what is the gender? What is the age? How do you mistakenly charge four hundred and fifty five people? I that blows me away. How did what happened to them? Did they end up spending any time in jail after they were charged or arrested? I mean, we gotta dig deeper into this, but I mean I I get it. Maybe the police don't realize or maybe the police were being abusive. But when it gets into the prosecutor's hands, they should have immediately killed the cases. But they just noticed, oh, we we charged 455 people with a crime that we shouldn't have charged with a crime. What is that? Yeah. Why are those charges even still on the books (laughs) if if they were if you can notice now that it was a mistake? Why? Why is it, uh, you know? I don't know. It's yeah, you're amazing. Right. What, I don't it's like, that. who are these yeah. poor folks who got charged with a crime that's not a crime? So we're going to have to do more digging into that. It's today in Ohio. How is U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown seeking to help relieve the financial burden on teachers? Lisa, I know for a fact, because I've been married to one for a long time, teachers spend a lot of their own money on stuff for their students. And for most teachers, it's money that they can ill afford as well. So Senator Brown, along with his colleague in the House, uh, Representative Anthony Brown of Maryland, they introduced legislation that would increase the tax deduction for school supplies from $250 to $1,000 and then index it to inflation. They would also expand this tax deduction to include principals, aides, and counselors who often do spend their own money as well on supplies for their students. Uh, Brown says that 94% of teachers spend money on class supplies out of their own pocket. 10% of them spend $1,000 or more. And this tax code hasn't changed in decades. And he said just doing this would be minimal cost to taxpayers. So it's a no brainer. Let's get it done. I wonder how he found out about it. I mean, because he's right on the money. This is, I mean, it's like, it's amazing to watch how much money goes out the door to, for, for stuff for the kids. I mean, and every teacher does it and they, they do it because they're dedicated and they care. But I just wonder how Sherrod Brown learned this was a problem. He must have his finger on the pulse of the educational system. Well, it's good. I think he has his finger on the pulse of a lot of things, which is why we love him so much. And also, too, state education has been... It's funding for state education has been declining for years, as Brown pointed out. So teachers are trying to fill that hole, and now they're getting a little help from the IRS. Well, with the Republican war on teachers, I don't mm. know if it'll get passed. I hope so. It'd be a good thing for all the teachers. 
It's Today in Ohio. How did the Cuyahoga County Council find a compromise in the debate on whether to hold employees accountable for whistleblowing? Layla, this, we, we talked a good bit about how they were trying to you know, make it easier to do bad things by not making employees talk about it when things go wrong. It's interesting this comes at the time that the council is creating slush funds for themselves. <laughs> but they ended up moving a little bit in the right direction from where they had been. Yeah, they had been battling over this whistleblower policy for some time now. Range, you know, the debate had ranged from at least one member of this committee pushing for a, a full mandate requiring county employees to report all wrongdoing when they become aware of, of it to folks like Marty Sweeney advocating for a policy that more or less says employees may report wrongdoing if they want to, but they don't have to. <laughs> anyway, here, here's how it finally shook out and, and what they expect will be the final revision. They've, they've limited mandatory reporting only to elected officials, employees, and board members with actual knowledge of county ethics violations. It also takes them off the hook for having to speak up if they know the violation has already been reported by somebody else. Previous versions of this policy had applied the mandate to anyone who reasonably believes a violation, like conflicts of interest or self-dealing has or will occur without exceptions. Now, employees without direct knowledge of a county violation or those with knowledge of any state and federal law violations will be encouraged to report, but not required. The law will also continue to allow for written or verbal complaints. It will allow anonymous reporting. It will eliminate the five-day reporting window, and it will broaden the list of people who employees may confide in to include their supervisor, the agency of the inspector general, or the human resources department. Also, non-employees like people seeking or receiving county services can be considered whistleblowers. So all residents have a way to report problems and receive protections rather than filing a lawsuit. So their complaints would be discussed with the relevant county department for investigation and corrective action. And I think this is a way to kind of avoid litigation, right? So um, so that's the compromise that they reached. And we were discussing it yesterday. It seems it seems reasonable. Yeah. I think. I mean, they 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 all kind of unanimously got behind it at the end of the well, day. Well, they were trying to abandon it. They were, you know, doing bad things. It wasn't Marty Sweeney behind that bringing more of the the bad things to this group. But this is good. I think they ended up with a really decent compromise, and we'll have to see if it works. It's today in Ohio. Congressman Dave Joyce has made a bit of a name for himself with efforts to decriminalize marijuana, but he's opposed to something the House of Representatives has done to do just that. Laura, what's going on there? Basically, he's saying this is a deeply flawed bill. The when the House voted largely along party lines last week to remove marijuana from the list of federally controlled substances and eliminate the federal criminal penalties for the production, distribution, and possession of marijuana. He said it doesn't take into account... The, apart from a physician-prescribed treatment of a minor, that cannabis is and should remain an adult project product and wants to keep federal safety and production regulations that ensure that it's suitable. And he says it's basically the same deeply flawed bill that barely passed the House last Congress and has no chance of law this time. Even though he's, you know, he says he's dedicated to the swift and responsible end of cannabis prohibition. Yeah, it just was strange to see him come out against something like this because he has been refreshingly uh, open about doing it. And he's a former prosecutor, so he knows 
how these charges can harm a person's life. We talked about what Justin Bibb is trying to do to mm-hmm. remove that burden from people. So it was just odd that he would come out with guns blazing at something that is carrying the ball forward. But then doesn't that make you, you know, if he's some, someone who's generally for this and he has problems with it, maybe you're like, okay, especially if it doesn't have a chance of passing, maybe we should listen to Dave Joyce on this. Like, he sounds reasonable. He's not saying no way, no how. He's saying, I just don't think that this is the right bill and doesn't put enough safeguards in place. All right. You are listening to Today in Ohio. Sports betting isn't legal yet in Ohio. Maybe by the end of this year, the system will be in place. So how can the Jack Casino promote its new sports betting app? Lisa, this seems like a little bit of a scam. Well, but nobody's going to spend any money or lose any money with this. So Jack Entertainment wants to get uh, gamblers' feet wet for live sports betting, which is supposed to, the state is required to open up live sports betting by January 1st of next year, but it could happen before then. Um, Jack Entertainment released a new app called Bet Jack, and it lets people play and practice for free. So users will get... 100 tokens a day, and they'll earn more tokens with winning bets on uh, baseball, NBA, NFL, NHL, international soccer, rugby, and esports as well. Um, Then they will convert this app to the real thing once live sports betting becomes legal. But they're just saying they want people to get used to using this app. And yeah, it may be a scam, but you can say that it's, it's also a great marketing opportunity for their new betting app. Well, the the cynic in me would say this is a way to get people addicted mm-hmm. ahead of it being legal. Uh, there are people that have gambling problems and trying to get them all tied in early. It's interesting. Um, we'll see. We'll have to see if it's successful. They clearly see sports betting. Everybody sees sports betting as a very lucrative right, right. Uh, tool of the future. And, and so. we hope the, uh, the Ohio Casino Control Commission spokeswoman, Jessica Frank, says it's going to take six months to create the rules around live sports betting, and then they can't take applications until those rules are established. So we may be, you know, see, we won't, we may not see it until January 1st, but maybe earlier. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's finish with some good news. How did some Clevelanders play a role in the NBA's new Kareem Abdul-Jabbar trophy for social justice? Laura? This is really cool. So they had a hand, pun intended, in designing this award, which shows two 3D printed casts of hands holding up a clear basketball globe. And this is meant to represent the impact athletes and activists can have to use their platforms and advance social justice globally. And this will be awarded each year to the league's social justice champion. The first winner was Los Angeles Laker Carmelo Anthony. And the three Clevelanders who helped design it are Lacey Talley. She's a graduate of Kent State. As she's the art director, uh, Jason Garrett, that was a creative director from Cleveland Heights, also KSU grad, and James Adams Jr. of Cleveland was the graphic designer. Um, he's actually started doing design work for the Cavs, and he's from uh, Cleveland State and Lakeland Community College. And they all work together via the Marcus Graham Project, which is a nonprofit organization that's focused on building diversity among designers and marketing leaders. And the reason that Marcus Graham wanted Cleveland to have a role in this was because the Cavs were the first ones to use their services. So they really see Cleveland as leading the NBA here. That they, that this this initiative, the Cavs were the first to use that? That's, that's how they decided to use people from Cleveland? Well, Marcus Graham Project like has a diversity 
Um, I mean, that's their whole point, that they they want to build diversity. And so the Cavs worked with them on building diversity in their own organization. So then when they got the job to do this this trophy, they went back to the Cavs and to Cleveland specifically to look for the artists. And then they worked with Abdul-Jabbar. Huh. It's, it's, that's a fascinating one. I'm a little bit surprised they didn't roll this out during the All-Star The All-Star week. game, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they did all, all the NBA stuff happens in that week, but maybe it wasn't quite ready. And then what did Carmelo Anthony do? What's his thing? That's a very what, good question, Layla. <laughs> I mean, I just... What... How does LeBron James not win this award every well, year? Well, this is the first year. I just so want to know. I love LeBron well, we, James. Yes, we are. You are LeBron. <laughs> I mean, I'm a LeBron fan, too. I mean, just a kid from Akron, right? But um, I, I don't know what Carmelo Anthony did for the award. I, we got to get a sports person on here, not just one who plays one on a podcast. <laughs> but I'm going to immediately Google this. And well, you're right, though. I mean, LeBron. How he's better than LeBron in the world right, of social what we, justice. What LeBron has done, we talked about it. What a week ago, the, the promise. House three three zero. Yeah. I mean, House three thirty. I mean, changing lives yeah, here. He he really has been a, a force for good. Good point, Layla. As usual. Can I add one <laughs> thing about the Marcus Graham project, though? They're they're working on another project in Cleveland to mark the fifty fifth anniversary of the nineteen sixty seven summit, and that was a press conference held by Muhammad Ali and other veterans, other athletes, where he spoke about his re- refusal to serve in the U.S. military during the Vietnam War, and um, Cleveland Browns legend Jim Brown was there and abdul jabbar at the same time so interesting bit of cleveland history yeah very famous moment it's today in ohio that'll do it for thursday come back on friday so we can wrap up this week of news thanks laura thanks layla thanks lisa thanks to everybody who listens